Our scripture reading today comes from, our first scripture reading comes from 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6, which is found on page 1,899 in your pew Bibles. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And our second scripture passage comes from Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7, which is found on page 3 in your pew Bible. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the second week of a sermon series on stewardship, and I, I want to take just a moment to set our context here of, of what we're doing in this series. So, uh, first slide, Colin. Um, this is our church's vision. You heard it in Mark's prayer. It's, it's come up in, in several other places over the last few weeks. Uh, transformed by the gospel, our city and world renewed in Christ. And, and, and basically that's a shorthand way of saying as the gospel changes us, we participate with the gospel, with the spirit of God in changing the world around us. There is a transformation that the gospel does in us and is doing in the world. And we are being ushered into that. And our vision here at First Hamilton is that we would be caught up in that. Both paying attention to how God is at work transforming us and paying attention to how God is at work transforming the world and saying how can we work with God in what God is doing to make all things new. The second slide it's our mission statement, and we, we take that big vision, which could go all over the place uh, in, in the way we apply it, and we've started narrowing it down a little bit. And the, and the way we do that is, is to say it this way, to serve our communities by enfolding one another with the Father's love, making disciples of Jesus, and being sent by the Spirit for the renewal of our city to the glory of God. And so although our, our big vision has the world out there all over the globe in, in view, the way we're, we're seeing our role in that is to pay a little bit more attention to the places we live and move and have our being on a day-to-day -day basis. So we say in our communities, 
Um, so some of us have communities where we work. Some of us have communities where we work out and exercise. Some of us have communities of, of crafts or winemaking or other hobbies. Those are all communities that we are in, and we are called, no matter which of those communities we're in, to have a posture of servanthood, of serving others. And, and we do that in three ways, enfolding one another. So enfolding one another with the Father's love as we gather together, we make room for each other. Uh, by making disciples of Jesus, so the emphasis as we're enfolded together is that we're going to become more like Jesus Christ. And, and then realizing that becoming more like Jesus Christ involves being sent by the Spirit. And so we recognize that we don't just come here for what they call often a holy huddle and pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't we good Christians? Our life is meant to be lived, being sent with the Spirit out the doors um, and all that to renew the city and the world around us. We've identified five core values. So the next slide. The one core value we're focusing on last week, this week, and the next two weeks is this one, generous stewardship and gratitude for the gifts God has entrusted to us we are committed to creatively empowering each member to engage the mission of the church with their wealth time and other resources this core value is also expressed in our commitment to generously collaborate with other churches and agencies as we work for Christ's renewal in our city and the world so that's, the, that's kind of the background stuff, just so you have a framework. We have that vision of being transformed, that mission of serving our communities, ultimately being sent by the Spirit for the renewal of the city. And we're focusing in on that, of this generous stewardship. What does it mean to be stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us? Last week, when we talked about this, we started by the place we begin is recognizing how generous God is. God is an incredibly generous God. From the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, God's generosity comes up again and again and again. And it's in the context of that generosity that we now today start saying, so how do we respond? Go to the next slide. One of the things that we said in the, that I read as part of the baptismal litany is this. We readily admit that this baptismal life is being marked by this baptismal water. This baptismal life cannot be contained in a little bowl of water or in the few drops of water sprinkled upon us and our children. In some sense, that's exactly what John was saying to his people. As he's writing this letter, John's writing this letter that, that just read just a little snippet from, but he's writing this letter somewhere around 90, 95 AD. At that point, we believe all the other apostles had died. It is just John who's still alive. And he is, in some sense, saying to the churches, this is the last of the apostolic witness. This is the last of the first-hand witnesses, and I want to make sure you understand what's at the heart of the gospel, what's at the heart of the good news. And so this whole letter that he writes here is, is really telling the gospel story. And he does so in a couple ways. The, he begins with this incredible in, uh, beginning of, of this letter using the phrase in the beginning and he talks about the beginning and makes reference to the beginning of creation again but then he 
he does something interesting. He starts talking about being able to testify or, or tell the story about what they as the apostles had seen and heard. He's saying, we, we pretty, much, pretty much touched the living God. We were witnesses to the living God taking on flesh and walking among us. We are talking about what we actually saw and heard ourselves. This is incredible. This is something that hasn't been heard in the world before, hasn't been experienced, that, that somehow God, the big creator, the divine being, taken on flesh and lived among us. And as John keeps talking, he quickly goes from that and says, you know what? If we trust this God has come into our lives and, and has walked among us, then we need to be able to confess our sins. And he goes from this big picture of Jesus as fully God and fully human right into talking about in Jesus, we have an advocate with whom we can confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, we can be assured that he is faithful and just to forgive us. So before we get to the words of this, this uh, that just read for us from, from chapter 2, we've had the framework already, the very quick framework. You want to know the gospel? I'm going to make it as clear as I can. God, who created everything, took on flesh and dwelled among us. We actually saw him and listened to him and we're, we hung out with him. And, and this God forgives our sins. We are invited to experience that forgiveness, that reconciliation of no longer being separated from God. And then he makes a turn at this point where just picked up the reading. He's making a, a transition from talking about the big story of the gospel to trying to make it much more tangible. Essentially saying, so how do we live now? If God has been this generous in forgiving our sins, what do we do? We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. This little phrase comes up all the time. It, probably most notably in the John 14 verse 15 passage. How many of you were in cadets? All right. Those of you who don't know what cadets is, it's, a, it's kind of a boys club that, that operates inside the Christian reform uh, tradition. And, and starting way down at about this high, some of these kids that were up here, they start saying this memory verse. If you love me, you will... Okay, I know there were more of you than that. If you love me... Yeah, you will keep my commandments. It's Jesus giving in this John 14 passage his last words to his disciples. And as he's talking to his disciples, he's saying, folks, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't it interesting that John imitates Jesus here? Jesus, his last words to his disciples, if you're going to love me, keep my commandments. In other words, follow what I've been doing. Tell people and teach people to do what I've been teaching you to do. And John is the same way. The end of his life, as he comes to the end of his life, he doesn't say, follow me, John, because I did it so great. He says, if you love God, 
keep his commandments. Those words from Jesus shaped John just before Jesus goes to the cross and dies. And John takes those words and as he's saying, what's the most important thing I can say to the people of God before God takes me home? It's this, if you love God, if you love God in response to God's generosity towards you, if you love him, keep his commandments. What happens beyond the text that, that we, we heard read, what happens in the rest of the book of John is he goes back and forth between two things. If you love God, you're supposed to follow him, trust him, listen to the Spirit, and love your neighbor, love your brother and sister. Love God, love your neighbor. Have you heard that somewhere before? John is saying, I don't have time to go into every command that Jesus gave along the way, but I'm going to give it to you in shorthand. The essence of how we live this baptismal life is to love God and love our neighbor. I still want to say, so how do we do that? How do we get there? Verse 6 is one of these verses that has grabbed at me multiple times in my life, but whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Colin, can you put that up? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I lived for a long time in West Michigan. Um, You know that phrase, um, what would Jesus do? And they had the little bracelets. That originated in a youth group in West Michigan. Um, that's where they started doing that and they made those bracelets and they did it as a fundraiser and all sorts of other things and it kind of rippled out from there. And, and I remember hearing that and going, oh, that is so cheesy. Until I read this verse. Like, doggone it, it's in there. <laughs> Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Some of you may be realizing there is an odd shape of a footprint in there. And and there's a reason that I chose that picture to go with this. Colin, next one. Nope, back one. Maybe I took it out. Back one. Never mind, I'll explain it. Um, This, when it says to live, it comes up twice in the passage, to live. It's the root word for it is peripateo, which means to walk around. To walk around around. They, uh, the religion theology department at Kelvin, when I was there, had a tradition of doing a parapeteo around campus, and it really was their excuse to walk around campus smoking cigars. Um, but they, they honestly, they would take just a walk to loop around campus, and as they walked around, the idea was not just to smoke the cigar, but to have conversations about theology and about religion and about how it relates to our lives. So not just the big abstract ideas they were trying to talk about in class, but to walk around saying, now what does this mean? Where do we go with this? And, and so they would take a walk together, a parapeteo. This passage, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to walk like him Whoever claims to walk around like Jesus must actually walk around like Jesus did. 
There's another word in there, and, and I won't go into all the Greek of it, but that word for must is used two different ways consistently, and they both have the same kind of idea underneath. It's actually closer to the word for you owe a debt. Quite often it's used in business transactions. It's the same word. If you claim to walk like Jesus, you owe a debt to actually walk like Jesus. It gives me pause. I don't know about you, but we, we like to label things Christian, right? Label ourselves Christian. And, and I remember one of my friends saying, are we close to taking the Lord's name in vain because of how we live? Not because we use it flippantly, not the OMG type stuff that gets texted and said around and how we take God's name in vain that way, but, but based on this idea, whoever claims to walk like Jesus must actually walk like Jesus did. And he said, are we close to taking God's name in vain? To saying, I'm a Christian, but then going and living however we want. I, I follow Jesus Christ, but pursuing our own ends and our own means something in there that ought to give us pause. And, and John phrasing it this way and saying it this way, whoever claims to walk around like Jesus actually needs to walk around like Jesus did. There's something in that that is, is supposed to drive us back to Jesus Christ and say, not how does my life measure up to other people. Not how does my life compare to other Christians? Do I have more understanding of Scripture than they do? Do I go to church more faithfully? Do I give more abundantly? But does my life, the whole of my life, how does that measure up to Jesus? Friends, when that question comes home, most of us want to drop to our knees or turn the radio up really loud so it drowns out that thought. It's a scary thought. Because quite frankly, our lives don't measure up to Jesus. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us continues to fall short of the glory of God. We don't walk around like Jesus did. How do we live the baptismal life? The first part of that is this, dying. Jesus, I don't measure up. I don't walk around the way you did. I don't. And coming to a place where we can acknowledge that is the first part of this baptismal life. I'm dying. Because my sinful life is unworthy of you, God. But it doesn't stop there. We need to go there, but we don't stop there. We don't stop there in the guilt and the shame that Sean mentioned. We don't stop there and say, well, I'm lost then. There's no hope. No, we're entered into a baptismal life that dies and rises to new life. And it's that rising to new life that we're called and drawn into this, this generous stewardship that we're going to talk about. There are three things I want to highlight from Jesus' life. We could, 
obviously, actually, we spend every Sunday talking about this. We get together each Sunday to talk about how do we live like Jesus did. Three things I want to highlight this morning. The first, next slide, is seek God the Father. Jesus' pattern all through his life was seeking God the Father. Do you remember when he's 12 years old? So this applies, I'm going to pick on my kids. I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old here, all right? So it's your time of life. Jesus goes to the temple with his family. He goes basically to worship with them, with his family and the rest of the community. And while they're there, he's hanging out in the temple and he's finding out and discovering things about God's word and he's talking with people about the centrality of God's word in the life of God's people. Your guys' age. He didn't wait until he was 25 or 30 until he had life together. He, he early on is, is seeking God the Father. And his parents finally find him. They lost track of him. They didn't know where he went. And they finally find him after a couple days of looking for him, sitting in the temple with all the teachers. And he said, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Seeking God the Father. Throughout his lifetime, you see these little glimpses where Jesus pulls away. He does it just before he calls the 12 apostles. He pulls away for the night, early in the morning, goes off by himself to pray. And you hear that cadence coming up in each of the Gospels that Jesus pulls away to go pray by himself. He pulls away to go pray by himself. He is spending his time, that regular rhythm of getting before the Father, seeking the Father. If we want to live as Jesus did, if we want to walk around like Jesus did, each of us need to be getting into that rhythm of pulling away, seeking God the Father. We might do that through a devotion as a family around a meal. We might do that through a a discipline like we're going to, uh, some of us will be doing this year, of reading through the Bible. Maybe some other ways of getting into a Bible study, but it it is taking that time to pull away, to get in the Scripture and to pray. To get in the Scripture and to pray. And in this way, generous stewardship, responding to God's grace with all the resources He's given us, overlaps with our, our other core value of active discipleship, which calls us into this life where we read Scripture and we pray. Seek God the Father. The second thing, keep in step with the Spirit. A few weeks ago, I, I talked about this, this uh, um, uh, passage in Mark uh, where Jesus... Uh, does his first sets of, of miracles, and I talked about it with a, a group of student leaders from Redeemer. Jesus does uh, this miraculous healing in a synagogue. He's just moved to Capernaum, and then he goes over to Peter's house, um, save, and I said he saved Peter's marriage because he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, and then there, then there was an after party after the Sabbath ended. It says the Sabbath ended, and as soon as the Sabbath ended, the whole city came over to Peter's house. Uh, and the whole city's gathered there as they come to Jesus to be healed and he's casting out demons and healing folks and he gets up and he goes off by himself. And the next morning, all the, the disciples go looking for him. Peter goes looking for him. Where are you? And they finally find him. Where are you? All these people are back in my house. Come on over. Save my marriage again. Um, and, and he invites them to come back to his house. But, but Jesus says, actually, no. I've come to preach all over the place. Let's go to the other cities and towns. And Jesus demonstrates this 
this attention to what the Spirit is doing. There was great ministry opportunity back at Peter's place. And he said, no, the Spirit's actually leading us in a different direction. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. This pattern of Jesus paying attention to the Spirit's leading permeated his life. And, and Paul actually takes that idea and applies it to us. The Galatians passage where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit says against such things, against this fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. So let's keep in step with the Spirit. It's this calling into a way of life where we are paying attention to the Spirit. And time and again, that goes back to these patterns of listening to Scripture and, and praying. But it also involves discerning with each other and saying to each other, where is God at work? And so it's not just that we can study Scripture on our own or pray on our own, but we're called to do so in the context of community. So we need not just to say, well, I have my devotions all by myself or I'm doing this Christian thing all by myself. It's that discerning the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, we need each other and we need to be in a community. So generous stewardship, responding in this life is rooted in Scripture, it is rooted in prayer, and it is rooted in community. And how does it get worked out? Next slide. Spend ourselves on loving each other. You know, there's this story of Jesus toward the end of his ministry making a, a trip from Jericho where he's just done all sorts of incredible stuff and he's making his way out of Jericho and heading towards Jerusalem and if you pay attention to the timeline, he's heading to Jerusalem to die. It's close to the end of his life and, and in the middle of the crowds that are traveling with him, this this lady timidly comes up and, and touches his cloak. And Jesus stops in the middle of it and says, who touched me? And his disciples are, are you kidding me, Jesus? Of all the things you're going to ask us to figure out and put together and plan, you want us to figure out who in this crowd touched you? Jesus stopped on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to die, to pay attention to a lady who had a bleeding disease. Essentially, her period didn't stop for many, many years. And because of that, she was unclean and could never enter the temple and could never really be around God's people and the worship of God. So for 12 plus years of her life, she is isolated from communion with God and communion with God's people. And Jesus, even though he is going to do the most essential thing that ever happened in the entirety of history, pauses pay attention to this woman and say you need to be poured into that you might be healed and reconciled with God and with God's people and made whole and he blesses her he spends himself on other people and that's just a little way that doesn't even go to that way of Jesus spending himself on behalf of all of us pouring himself out and pouring his life out that we could be reconciled with God and with each other and brought into a whole new way of life. If we want to say, what does it look like to live like Jesus did, to walk around like Jesus did? Seek God the Father. Keep in step with the Spirit. Spend ourselves on each other. Some of you may realize we also asked Jessica to read a passage from Genesis, and you're going, okay, he hasn't mentioned Genesis. Why was Genesis in all of this? 
Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We can't do these three things on our own. We can try. And we'll come to a point where we're like, Jesus, I just can't do it. I can't keep up. I can't live like you did. I keep falling short. But the promise of God, the gift of God that was there from the very beginning of creating us is that it is God's breath that is already in us. God breathing into us the spirit of God. That the very reason we are alive is because God is already at work in us. God is already living in us. We've done this exercise before, but we're going to do it again. Put your hand in front of you. Breathe out. Feel it. Don't smell it. Just feel it. The breath of God. Physiologically, we can explain it. Scientifically, we explain just what happened there and how all the the air currents work with our lungs and all that. But biblically, what we're being shaped to understand is that God has put his breath in us from the very beginning for a purpose, that we might be a living being, that we might live and move and have our being because of God so that the entirety of our lives is animated by God who is at work in us. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Stewardship is not about taking 10% of my money and putting it in an offering plate. Stewardship is not about deciding I'm going to volunteer one or two hours a week and make sure I do something good for someone else who's in need. Stewardship is about every breath we breathe in and every breath we breathe out being lived for God the way Jesus did. By the power of the Spirit. By the life of God that is already in us. Brothers and sisters, we are called to steward the breath of God every moment, every day every relationship, everywhere we go. Let's pray. This baptismal life you give us, Lord, cannot be contained in these drops of water. You have ushered us into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have wrapped us into his grace and his life in ways that we still don't understand and we're just coming to glimpse. May you help us to seek you, Father. May you help us to keep in step with the Spirit. May you help us to spend ourselves on others as Jesus did, to walk around like he did, to be little Christ's. Forgive us for the times when we don't. When we turn away and and we live for our own ends and we fail to steward the breath of life, your breath, that is within us. 
may you continue to fill us through your grace that the Spirit of God might live in us, that we might walk as Jesus did. In his name we pray. Amen. It's a way of responding. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing together number 737, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Please stand with me.